Lewis Road Creamery. At the time, everyone wanted to <laughs> taste this chocolate milk, but it was never in the shelves. Or well, was, but it wasn't wasn't even very long. Was that purposely done, or was that like creating scarcity, or was it just moving so fast, or did you create some hype and then? Can you talk us through that? that Absolutely. Time? Uh, all I would say is it definitely wasn't purposely done. Mm-hmm. We, you know, I don't know many businesses that would not want to sell every single piece of product <laughs> they could, especially if it's at the time in massive demand. So. Nicola O'Rourke was the GM of Lewis Road Creamery when it had that massive, massive hype train and everyone in New Zealand was trying to get their hands on some chocolate milk. And in today's episode, we talk about Lewis Road Creamery, but we also talk about why it's important to double down on your strengths and don't dwell on your weaknesses, the value of getting advice to help grow your business or idea, how to create hype for a brand and then maximize the engagement, why you need to keep innovating and have a point of difference, the story behind Lewis Road Creamery, how the Founder Advisory could help amplify your business and what the Founder Advisory is, why having a point of difference for any business is worth focusing on. Welcome to the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Podcast. Epic to have you on board. This episode is packed full of value. You're going to love it. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Kia ora, how are you? Kia ora, I'm good. I am always recording this podcast from the centre of the North Island, a beautiful rainy summer day here in Rotorua. Whereabouts are you? I'm just up the road on a beautiful rainy day in Tauranga. <laughs> so Tauranga is on the east coast of New Zealand for the 9% of our listeners who are in, in the United States. Um, so I'm in the North Island of Aotearoa, New Zealand, and we're currently recording this one on the 22nd of December. Um, looking forward to Christmas this Sunday. What do you actually do for Christmas? Do you have a, do you, do you go, do you barbecue or do you do roast or do you have every single meat that you could possibly need um, like we do? Yes, hands down, a good old Kiwi barbecue. Usually mm-hmm. every kind of meat possible on the grill <laughs> with the odd salad just for effect, I think, usually. It's usually yeah. meat. Meat and carbs. (laughs) Meat and carbs, that's the one. Hey, so today we're going to have a good chat to you about what you've, or or the Founders Advisory really is is something that I'm really interested in listening about. But I always ask this question for the very first question. What's it that you know now that you wished you had known before you started business that you, it's part of your everyday life, your ethos? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple actually. The first Mm -hmm. one is a pretty easy one just how to ask for help. Mm. Like, I firmly believe in that naive optimism. You know, when you're growing a business, you really need to have this sort of unwavering belief in your products or your service and their ability to grow and scale. But actually one of the best things you can do from day one is like surround yourself with people who really can support you and help you. And I wish I had known that um, a lot earlier on in my, not only my career, but um, my founding journey in different businesses. And then the second is like no matter how no no idea, no matter how good it won't work if it doesn't get used. So there's a really big difference between those who have awesome ideas and then those who have the courage to actually do something with them and get started and launch and grow something. But no one kind of tells you how hard it is. 
I was saying to someone the other day, it's like that first time you're pregnant in a way. People don't want to burst your bubble and tell you all the horror stories and all that stuff because if they do, it's like really hard to sift through them and work out which advice you heed and which advice you kind of let go of. But you kind of have to hear them and it is really, really hard growing stuff and creating stuff. But surrounding yourself with the right people to help you out and asking for help is super important. I've got a couple of questions already from your questions. The one thing that I always say to my friends who are having a baby and my only advice that I ever give them is to say, don't take advice from anyone because everyone's yeah. going to give you advice, especially your mum. So just go on your, you're your parent, you do you. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's the only piece of advice I give a new parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, because you've got to stay strong because everyone's going, oh, they've got this, they've got this sickness, they've got this, oh, they've got comic, whatever it is. Anyway, um, advice, getting advice from people is some a, a consistent sort of answer and, and some of the other questions that I ask throughout podcast. And how do you find out who to get advice from? Yeah, I think that's the toughest part, right? Working out who to get advice from. Typically, what I would do is go, who is doing an amazing job in the industry in which I'm in? And then who actually is doing an amazing job in things that are relevant to my industry but aren't in my industry? So, for example, if I've got areas where I really want to connect with brand or consumer, I'm a, and I'm in, say, a food industry, I might look at a parallel industry and say, I don't know, foot mechanics or in medical devices or in technology and go, who's actually doing that same thing really well but in a different industry? Mm. And then I just go find those people. And you, it, like, we're so blessed in New Zealand. It's amazing how if you just reach out either LinkedIn, friends of friends, whatever, and actually just ask people for a coffee and ask them for their time, being respectful of that time, of course, People are hugely generous with gifting of their time and advice. And I think often, because it's pretty small in this country, if, if they don't think they're the right person to help you or give you advice, they'll go, but I know who is. And then they'll connect you kind of along the way. And I think getting people in your industry and then in those parallel industries, which are facing similar challenges, gives you a real diversity of kind of perspective and thought. We used to have a we used to have a thing at Lewis Road called Inspire Sessions, which is once a month we'd get in someone amazing who was doing amazing things, but was totally unrelated to marketing or the dairy industry, and just talk about what they're up to and um, you know what challenges they're facing, what they're finding exciting, and it just was really nice to get total insights and inspiration from someone outside of our industry, and more often than not, you'd be taking away some super cool insights and parallels that you could kind of take back into your own work. Mm. LinkedIn is a very, very powerful tool in, in regards to um, reaching out to people. How did I reach out to you, LinkedIn? <laughs> um, how did I reach out to Cecilia Robinson and anyone like that? LinkedIn, it was, and it was, I suppose there's, a, there's you need to be empathetic to the to people's time as well though. So if you mm. were to, script let's say someone out there is listening going okay i need some i'm got let's just say someone's i'm just looking around me right now pot plants <laughs> yeah, perfect I've got, a, I've got a new oh you've got pot plants behind you as well so I'm, i want to create this niche pot plant high-end um whatever it is a pot plant um and i want to go to someone in a different industry who's doing something super niche as well what script 
Well, what would you suggest that they would write in a, a note to a CEO or a founder of a company in LinkedIn? Mm. Usually, and it's a bit like first customer reach, reach outs, I would look for um, one way to be really different. Anyone who's on LinkedIn knows the amount of in-mail you get. That's <laughs> just annoying, spam, the most unimaginative reach, reach outs you've ever you know, come across, which are almost offensive, to be honest. <laughs> You know, I just just take the time to go, if I was in this person's shoes, how would I make the differentiation about whether this is something I should, you know, chase up or not or get involved in? Because everyone's busy, right? So, so, you know, have a good think about what that is and then have a think about how you're going to be different. So what is it going to be in your subject line or your, or your um, text that is going to actually make them realise you're a person, you've got a personality, you're facing some interesting challenges, you've got an interesting opportunity. And often we would then follow it up or I would follow it up with something physical. So whether it's, you know, whether offices, you know, if you really, if you really, really, really know that the person you're trying to reach out to is going to um, provide you with some really amazing advice and you really value their time if they're going to give it up, follow it up with a physical experience, whether it's a phone call to their office or whether it's a little gift to their office, whatever it is, you know, find a way to be really, really different and unique. Don't mm. just sort of let the lazy old, hey, I'd love a coffee to chat through my business idea or you're doing this, that's great. Maybe you can help me do something great. You know, th mm. those might sound all right, but actually they're just quite lazy ways to get cut through in what is a mm. really, really lazy platform. Mm. One tactic, let's say, <laughs> that I use for one person who... Um, I had a, a mate of mine, he said, oh, wow, well, you should get this, you should reach out to this person. They're like the the amazingly well well um, connected and respected person in the SaaS industry. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do you know much about this person? And he's like, yeah. He goes, oh, he's a mountain biker. And he's like, he's a mountain biker. Oh, cool. I, I run mountain bike races um, and, it's, and some other things that they're interested in. I go, oh, well, I've got a lot of alignment of what they're interested in. I go, hey, I'm Craig. I'm, I've heard that you love mountain biking. I do too. Da, 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 wrote a little bit about myself and how we could align and go, hey, I've got this problem that um, I would love for you to help me with. Um, have, um, could I email you um, some questions? And would you be, um, and then he's like, oh man, I do love mountain biking. And I've heard of your events. Yes, email me. Here's my email here. Boom. And, and, and now he's actually a speaker <laughs> at one of my events. Um, Serge, awesome. um, thank you, Serge. But that, um, that's making an effort though, right? You know, what you've done is gone instead of just, spam email i'm gonna actually find out a bit more about this person and then connect with them in a way that it's not just you know it's like a value transaction it's not just mm. a it's you know it's not just a random reach out you've actually made some effort we need to get it um into some of these questions because we're going to talk for a long long time i have a feeling about that so i want to go to the next question which is um, can you take us back to your first ever paid job or whatever that might have been? It could have been when you were 10 or 12 or 11 or 14 or yeah. whatever that might be. And then fast forward to your first, let's say, like career professional job, you know, like after you've done all your education and stuff like that. Perfect. I, mm -hmm. um, at the age of 13, my first ever paid job was the Amokaroa milk run. So I was a delivery girl on the back of the milk trucks. I was paid $4.25 an hour and I did it two nights a week. And back then we're just transitioning from glass to plastic. 
mm-hmm. which is just sort of showing my age. And we were just moving from cash to tokens, which um, was very helpful because then I didn't have to count all of the change. Back when we had one and two cent pieces, it just, you know, took took a while. So, and I loved it. I loved being outside. I loved kind of the physical nature of the job. It was great. I was dead scared of the driver of the truck because I just didn't know how to interact with adults professionally. So I used to sit on the back of the truck in the freezing cold and deliver milk. And then I went on to Otago Uni and I won't dwell on it too much, but all I'll say is I wanted to be a physiotherapist. And then in mm. my first in my first two labs, I fainted at the sight of um, the bodies in there. So I decided that maybe that was not a career move for me. <laughs> and transferred into marketing and food science, uh, which was awesome. So I spent four years at Otago Uni. And then my very first kind of big boss career role was um, marketing assistant at Tip Tock Ice Cream. So I finished my first job, my my last exam, I think on the Friday in November, and then I started at Tip Top on the Monday. So I had to sort of pack my life up in a car wow. and drive north. Yeah. It was about 30 bucks in my pocket, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I was a brand manager in charge of the refreshment portfolio there, running Fruju and Popsicle and a whole lot of other iconic New Zealand brands from, um, you know, what essentially was a graduate uh, role. So I got given a huge amount of responsibility really early on, which was really exciting. And then from there, I went on to multiple career roles in FMCG companies across New Zealand, largely marketing, brand, innovation, roles looking after some of New Zealand's favourite brands from Export Gold at DB Breweries to um, Eater Chips and Biscuits at Griffins and then on to being the general manager of Lewis Road Creamery. And I think, you know, whilst I haven't um, used much of my food science degree, I've spent most of my career in marketing. I did move into some operational roles at Griffins running the factories. I had about 400 staff reporting into me at that time which was a huge um 400 did you say 400 yeah yeah I was running the eater site and um that was a huge move from kind of marketing management brand management into into operational um, management and I really enjoyed that five years it was you know a totally different experience to the previous 12 years in, in marketing but I think that gave me the real breeds at the time to have not only a clear move into general management, but also get a real understanding of leadership, people skills, um, operational P&L management, um, engineering, supply chain, logistics, you know, you name it. Um, mm. So um, I've launched like over 300 products into four markets globally. And I think until you until you really understand the story of a product, you don't really know how to sell a product. And I think that time in operations really gave me a good grounding of that kind of entire product development life cycle and then uh, more recently I was the chief digital officer at Convita leading their global e-commerce digital transformation across seven markets and consolidating their marketing technology stack and kind of building a new headless uh, single source e-com platform and then kind of probably more recently around four years ago I came quite interested in governance positions largely because I fell into an opportunity through um, NZTE with the food basket where we were starting a um, coalition of companies entering uh, China through the Alibaba Tmall platform. And there was um, a chair and a board role attached to that um, new business that I took up. 
And then that kind of grew into two or three other governance roles that I am now involved in. So I'm on the Halala Vanilla Board, a fabulous purpose-led uh, vanilla brand that's doing an amazing job in Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the US. Uh, Formway Chairs, which is um, one of New Zealand's amazing design stories um, about, you know, the Noho Chair and they designed the Life Chair and they're doing an, an amazing job in Australia, New Zealand and the US. And um, I'm also the co-founder and managing partner of Founders Advisory. And we're an advisory and investment business that works with startups and SMEs largely, I would say, in FMCG food and beverage businesses um, to mm-hmm. create accelerate growth for them. And that's a partnership of three of us, myself, Peter Cullinane, the founder of Lewis Road, and Michael Stiasny, who... Um, has a very long and well-respected career in finance and, and litigation. So I think, you know, what I guess probably what I've understood about myself is I really love the diversity of working on multiple projects and brands and products at the same time. And I've got a real passion for seeing New Zealand brands succeed on the world stage. And I think as I've moved into working with now quite a diverse group across governance, but also and Founders Advisory, there's some there's some just amazing people doing some amazing things and being able to um, stand alongside and kind of wrap your arms around them and accelerate, you know, their, their founding passion. It's just, I love it. It's just a lot of fun and it's great. How do you even have any spare time? <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I, I was writing things down going, That's the whole page. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I think I was I was thinking about that the other day, and do you know what we I did this advanced leadership course through Monash University about three or four years ago, and they they spend time with you around this concept of ikigai, which is the Japanese concept of um, a reason for being. And you know it's it's really simple though, right? It's really about that intersection of finding what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, what the world needs from you, and then what you can get paid for. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot of our working lives or our careers or our founding lives, we know what what we're good at, we know what we get paid for, and we stick at that because we keep getting told what we're good at and we keep getting heaps of money for it. But then we lose what we love and what the world needs from us. And I think as you start to either get older and wiser or actually burn out, <laughs> you actually start to rebalance and go, hold on a minute, how do I get all of those four things? And I think when you do get all of those four things, you really don't work a day in your life. You know, you actually do find joy in what you're doing. And it doesn't mean it's not hard and at times you want to stop or do something else or give up or whatever. But but the point is you've actually worked out that there's more balance between just doing something you're good at and getting paid for it, but it also has to be what you love and and, and kind of what the world needs for you or what you're giving back. And I think I'm kind of working that out. So when you say, how do you find the time? I think it's probably more for me actually about the fact that I really enjoy what I'm doing and I feel like I'm getting those four things in better balance. So actually I don't feel like I'm, you know, too busy. So the way that I look at it is that time is your currency and you've got to uh, understand yeah. where you want to spend that time. And be yeah. and be and be really um, focused on on we what you do. So I appreciate you spending like let's we've been chatting for forty six minutes, but we've only been recording for eighteen. So um, <laughs> I do appreciate you taking the time. 
um, spending it with our audience and this many um, podcasts as well. So thank you very, very, very much. I've got a, I've got so many questions um, already that aren't even on. So, so for the listeners out there, I, I send one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen questions. Generally, asked two, and then I just roll into whatever else um, based on the origin story of what they've done. Or, or what I guess have, have, have achieved in their career up to date. So the first one I want to talk to you about is Lewis Road Creamery. At the time, everyone wanted to <laughs> taste this chocolate milk, but it was never in the shelves, or it was, but it wasn't, wasn't there for very long. Was that purposely done, or was that like creating scarcity, or was it just moving so fast, or did you create some hype? And then can you talk us through that? that Absolutely. Time? All I would say is it definitely wasn't purposely done. Mm-hmm. We, you know, I don't know many businesses that would not want to sell every single piece <laughs> of product they could, especially if it's at the time in massive demand. So there was there was some elements that were amplified, like obviously the media uh, coverage supported that significantly, which kind of basically exasperated the problem. But but I mean, it was it was what I love about that that chocolate milk moment anyway, is that it was a very, very simple product innovation. You know, New Zealand's favourite chocolate with like a fabulous milk product. And I think what it started to do is coin this phrase of like FOMO and, you know, how Mm. do I find products and create this desirability around it. And having been in the food and beverage industry for most of my career, you don't get one of those moments in food and beverage very often. Like we don't, you know, whilst we put food and liquid in our mouths all day, very rarely Mm -hmm. do we get those like go crazy moments where people are chasing products around supermarkets and petrol stations and, you know, securities limiting things. And, and, and so for me, it was super exciting to just see that we actually can still get quite passionate about what we consume, (laughs) what we eat and drink. And that, you know, if you look back at, um, you know, history in, in most countries, but even in New Zealand, you just don't often get those moments. So to be, you know, to have, to have had that in New Zealand and be part of it is really cool because it shows you that actually you don't necessarily always have to create something totally different from scratch to innovate. This was just taking two very simple things that New Zealanders know and love and putting them together and you end up with this kind of fabulous product and I think from then you know what we call brand mashups happen all the time every year now don't they there's always you know someone collaborating with someone else to do a new flavor or a new product or something which is Mm. it's just cool right it just shows you that people can get a spark of an idea like that and then and then launch different things a really good example of Kiwis who have done amazing um, collaborations is uh, Allbirds has recently did a collab with was it Adidas or was it with Nike um, which is pretty rad. Like, yeah, that is pretty amazing. The game, um, eh? Good. Yeah, <laughs> that is the game. Um, that is that that is high end. The only exception to the rule that I think that you mentioned before about food is toilet paper when there's a pandemic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was going on with that. Who thought that we're going to run out? Of, who needed that much toilet paper? But I suppose that <laughs> is, is it, only other time. High use product. It is a high use product. <laughs> <laughs> it's a high use product, but. Um, and then you see some things when, like a new takeaway store or something like that. Like I remember Taco Bell came to Rotorua, 
And on the yeah. first couple of days, everyone wanted to go to it. And there was lines. And now it's probably empty. I don't even, I've never been back. You want to go and try it out and then, and then it disappears. So, how did, so, so, so I suppose that moves me into the next question. So how did, so there's this massive demand on a, on a product. And when, when the, uh, everyone starts um, drinking it, how do you get repeat customers? I suppose you make a beautiful product and it's, it's delicious and everyone loves it. But what's the next step after that? I suppose manage the engagement and and um, not so much capitalize on it. But I suppose so, yeah. But but work with that. I I think in that example, it's um, so two different things, right? The first one is at Lewis Road, we had a saying which was the product and the brand are not separate, so they're not two indivisible things. And I think traditionally, if you look at marketing and then look at products and services, often they can be very separate so the brand can be sitting on a piece of paper on a computer or in an office here's what our brand is and what it's about then it shows up as a product or a service and it's totally different and you're like hold on a minute this this is not even reconciling with what my, either my brand says about this product or the product says about the brand so we spent a lot of time making sure that actually they are just one thing we never talked about them separately and then the second is we just gave it we gave the brand back to the people so you know, we asked more often than not, in fact, all the time, I think, we asked people, hey, what flavors are next, guys? You know, mm. chocolate milk's a Kiwi classic, but we love other flavors out there. Tell us what you want. And when you hand your innovation stream back to the people that love your products, actually, that's when you get the biggest insights and opportunities. And that's mm. really scary to do mm. because you know, it comes with all sorts of constraints. Someone will say, I want to hot chili flavored blah 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 mm. you know, I don't know if that's going to go very well and obviously use ways of crafting that so you can get get the products the flavors or the outcomes you want but but if you but if you trust your community enough to hand your brand or your innovation back to the people that actually buy it then you're going to get a much more kind of genuine um, reaction to when your next products come out and and products do have a natural life cycle so you know it it it's just not feasible always to have the normal products like your cash cows or your services that bring in all of the money and help you fund your innovation they're not going to be around forever so you've got to keep topping up your innovation pipeline to either bring new consumers into your brand continue to keep people interested grow into a new occasion you know you might have a chocolate milk once a week but actually once a month you'll try the new flavor so you you might be bringing in someone new with that opportunity or you might be um just adding a consumption occasion to a normal monthly purchase for people. So I'm using a food and beverage example here, but usually you're trying to grow your community with your innovation plan, but doing something that surprises and delights people in that example is really important. If I was to choose uh, chocolate milk um, flavour, it would be salted caramel. I don't know if you did Ooh, one of those. Oh, that's a goodie. That's a goodie. <laughs> No, they did butterscotch caramel and normal, like uh, just a standard caramel. I don't think we had a salted caramel, but that's a very good one. Don't suggest it. <laughs> I'll just take a, a small um, 12% um, commission on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, has there been a brand, like a global brand or any sort of brand that's had uh, uh, an impact on you? Um, I get asked, you know, I get asked this question a lot. Hmm. And actually, 
Weirdly, the answer is no, but what, because I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm a bit of a sort of a non-brand person given my career, but, but I think what, what I love to see is brands that genuinely live their purpose. So mm-hmm. you, and especially today, as you see the importance of ESG um, getting what I would call reverse woven into brands. So you've got brands, brands only ever started as stories. I mean, brands are just a story that usually is steeped in some sort of authenticity or um, kind of genuine roots somewhere. That is why it started. And the times I get really disappointed is when I see brands that are now trying to take who they are and what they're about and and wedge other things into it that have never been important to them or aren't very authentic or they start to drift so far away from their product or their service or their innovation that you go, what on earth is going on here? There's there's a book called um, Imagine It Forward by Beth Comstock. She was the head of innovation and brand at GE. And that's, you know, one of the biggest global companies employs tens of thousands of people and you know trying to innovate with that brand and what is traditionally a very 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 um staid category she did just an amazing job of setting up these innovation hubs globally and continuing to connect that innovation back into the brand and on a really big scale that book is a really amazing way to have a think about how you could think about um, brand differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, lots of people will say all birds or this or that or other brands, but in reality, actually, I, I prefer, you know, some of the more smaller startup brands that are still really connected to their story, and still are super, super genuine and really clear on their purpose, and haven't got to the point where they haven't talked to their consumers for a year and haven't answered the phones or haven't looked through their ratings and have just forgotten about who is actually buying their products and what communities they're serving. Mm. Awesome. So what, there's a lot of SMEs out there. So my next question is going to be about the the advisory, founders advisory, but before I go there, there's a lot of businesses out there that don't necessarily have a brand. Like a cafe, for example, do you think they need to have a brand associated with the cafe or a bakery or um, something else or is it just a, like do you think they're losing or stepping over an opportunity where they could create something pretty cool within their cafe for example um not necessarily i think you know if you take the concept of a brand it's really mm. about you know a story or a way of doing something or a way of making something or a way of producing a service that is unique and different mm-hmm. and has both a physical and an emotional connection so if you apply that logic to a cafe or to a, you know, a trampoline park or a fishing charter and you just say, why am I better than the fishing charter next to me and why would someone choose me over them mm-hmm. and how can I make sure that whoever leaves my venue event service with a feeling and what feeling is that and how do I want them to then go and talk about me when they leave and refer me and come back if you just think about it in that sense actually what you are doing is creating a brand you're mm. just finding you're just finding 
moments of truth or points of difference that you have because people have so much choice these days you know why, why should they choose you why should they choose your product or service or cafe or whatever and so if you if you just take a little bit of time thinking about that you'll find there's little moments of um, either points of difference we call them charm moments at Lewis Road little charm moments little things you can do that are unique and different that will set you apart and that is creating a brand in a way especially if mm. you're just you know, in a, in a category that isn't traditional like um, FMCG or, or products or services. A good example of that is a cafe that I recall when I was working with the Economic Development Agent here in Otorua. And every day, some of my colleagues would go down to this cafe just to get their um, cheese scones. Yeah. Like, that's it. Because they and all they yeah. did that was there's no different to the scone. I think they just put them in one of those George Foreman grill press things. Yeah, grilled it with Makes heaps of butter. <laughs> yeah, and then it turned a regular scone into something amazing. And then they'd come back with the coffees. And then if they're having a meeting, they'd go there with the coffee. They'd go, oh, you gotta have this, you know. And that that would have, I suppose, yeah. they're not. They, and in reality, they're not there anymore. That cafe. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and he's, well that's the hard thing though I think you've got to once you find that one moment of truth or that one thing you've actually got to keep you've got to keep innovating right because because people follow real fast so Mm. it's relentless to continue to have a point of difference which is why it needs to be physical and emotional you know people people need to physically feel that they're getting something whatever that is but then they also need you know an emotional feeling as well and that's when you really get them you know, when they get an experience that they can then pass on or they feel, you know, they're, they're giving back to something or they feel good about something, that's when you, if, if you get those two together, that's the that's the moment that you'll win. Mm. So let's move into the Founders Advisory. Can you give us a look, um, some insights into what that is, how it all started and what the, yeah, sure. let's say, and whether or not you've got like a five, 10-year vision of what it could become? Yeah, so Founders Advisory started because um, Peter and I were talking one day about our experiences in in FMCG, and we were just we were just going, God, you know, if we look back to our time at Lewis Road, I wish we had this, this, and this, and this earlier, mm-hmm. and we could have gone to someone or something or some agency to have got advice from people who had done it, built it, been in the trenches, been hands-on. There is a wealth of advice out there for from um, businesses, advisors, corporations who haven't done the mahi and who have spent a lot of time advising on the mahi but haven't actually had, had to roll their sleeves up. And, you know, we were talking about that time when you get a whole lot of advisors in the room and you have a good chat and then they leave the room and the door closes and you go, okay, what happens now? What should we do? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? And do I now need to get advice on that advice? Like what? And so we were talking about how good would it be if we were the ones in the room around that table helping those founders to sift through all of that information and advice and present it back to them in a way that helps them make sense or we're like trusted partners to then discuss, debate where to from here. And whether that's something as simple as what does the shareholder mix we want or how do we want to exit the business over time or what innovation pipeline should we have or what consumers are we serving or, you know, loads of different things kind of across business. Um, 
wouldn't it be great if we were the ones that having done it and trusted and built it could sit in a room and really help founders with problems that we wanted help with as we were going through it but didn't necessarily see where we could get that support from and so that's you know that's where it started we were like wouldn't that wouldn't it be great to be in a position to use our passion for seeing New Zealand food and beverage beverage businesses succeed on the world stage really and 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 scale outside of ANZ and really continue to make a name for New Zealand food and beverage on the global stage but provide all of the um, I guess experience that we've had growing doing it across across our careers and then we kind of went well what are we missing then in that in that skill set and um, we wanted someone who could join the team that had really strong um, finance financial structuring backgrounds um, you know around VC and investment and I, I firmly believe in serendipity, but as it as it mm. happened, Peter ended up getting an introduction to Michael Stasny, our other business partner, and we got talking about kind of our vision for for how we'd like to help New Zealand businesses grow and succeed, especially in food and beverage. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm really keen on that." So we got together and formed Founders Advisory, and um, really for the last eighteen months, we've been focused on making sure that we work with and bring in kind of the right partners in the short term so that we can um, build out, I guess, a portfolio of founders that we're really, really interested in. And so how we operate is we have like an initial introduction. So you'll kind of meet us, we'll meet you for an hour, we'll hear your story. Because as much as you're investing in whether it's the product or the service, you're really just investing in the founder, I, you know, are you passionate about what you're doing? Do you believe in it? What's your plan? If you don't have one, where are your gaps? You know, are people buying into what you're selling? Are they continuing to buy into what you're selling? So we're just really wanting to meet them and hear about mm. their story. Um, and then if we are still really keen and they're still really keen, we have what we call an immersion session. for six or seven hours where we just lock each other away in a room for a day we get the products or we experience the service and we just have what is basically a free massive advice day where we really dig into the business with the founder, really help, I guess, better try to understand what are their challenges, what are they looking for, how are they going to grow their business, how how could our skill set best meet their gaps or needs or challenges, will we provide value for them, how are they... Um, needing kind of founders support what does the structuring of their business look like you know who knows what it might be it depends on the mm. business and then at the end of that we go okay yeah geez actually this is a really um really engaged founder we really love what they're doing they're really passionate about it we think there's real success here consumers love it um we're we're keen to to get involved and then obviously the founder obviously needs to feel the same way and if that's the case, then usually what we're doing is looking at a mix of um, our sweat equity, so our time and investment and cash or cash or not, but looking to usually take an investment in the business because we really believe that you need to be invested standing along in the trenches with these founders and helping them grow it rather than being um, – kind of dumb money where you just put some cash in and walk away and hope they succeed you know so mm. for us it's very much about going 
this is a relationship. We really believe in you as founders. We believe in what you're doing. We believe in the product and service. And we believe it so much that we, you know, we're all in. We're what in. So that's probably a longish version of of right. what we do. So so yeah, we're what are we, 18 months in? We're working with um three businesses at the moment that are going really well. We've got another three that I can't kind of mention yet, but um we're loving it. It's just so God, there's some awesome, passionate uh, SMEs in New Zealand, and I'm constantly amazed by by the tenacity that that we have in this country to launch stuff and grow things and and get things done. So, is the founder advisory is it only food and beer products? Uh, it- no, actually, well, typically it has been. We have got one fintech that I can't mm-hmm. specifically mention yet, but um, so, so no, as it turns out, and, and it was intended to be food and bev, but mm-hmm. we actually have got a fintech. But what I would say is if it's not food and bev, it's definitely um, D to C. So it's anything um, branded to consumer, whether that's a service, whether that's a SaaS product, it, it, we're, we're certainly more focused on, um, on delivering a service product to a consumer and building a brand around that. Uh, than we would be in a B2B environment. Are you allowed to tell me, us, the audience, who the three you are working with? Yeah, so we've got uh, Cleanery, who are a purpose-led sustainable cleaning product. They have this amazing IP around the actual cleaning powder, and it goes in sachets. And um, sachets replace basically an entire spray bottle of um, Detail or Ajax. So you've got typically often when you're making choices around a a more sustainable product, you're having to compromise on its um, efficacy or its quality of working. So what we love about the cleanery is actually you don't have to compromise. It it costs less than an Ajax or a Detail spray bottle, 500 ml, it works just as good, if not better, and in fact, in most cases, better when we've done the um, tests and you don't have to pay a massive amount for it and you're saving the environment at the same time. So it's what we would call the trifecta. You're not having to compromise quality or efficacy mm-hmm. for like a, just a really good product. So love mm-hmm. love working with those guys. And we met them kind of mid last year, the founders, Mark and Ellie. And they just had kind of the concept and hadn't commercialized yet. And then we got involved and we throw them into the accelerator. And now they're in um, Woolworths in Australia. They're in um, foodstuffs in New Zealand. They're in the warehouse. So they've just gone in 12 months, which is really cool for them. And, you know, it's great to see them succeed. And then we've got um, cocoa oil, which is an organic sunscreen brand. Um, You'll find that we've got some sort of random stuff going on. Um, and again, another really amazing organic oil-based sunscreen that kind of started in the US and Australia and is now starting to grow. So we kind of have come in um, off the back of some of the work that they've already been doing and are starting to work with them. And we've got um, Indie, which is the fintech, um, a fully online mortgage service, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. And they are hopefully launching next year, which is cool. So, so yeah, two FMCG, one fintech, and we've got three other FMCGs that I just can't quite mention yet. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. 
I like it how your advisory group, let's say, uh, the oper your operators, you're not theoretical business people who have not actually been in the trenches or in the weeds and then come out the other side. You're actually operation, you've got operational experience. So you know exactly what, how the people you're working with, what they've been through, which is, again, rolling back to that very first question that you, you, where you answered where you said that, you know, getting the advice from the right people. Um, mm. So then I, I feel that um, the founder advisory is, is an advisory where you've got the right people in the room. Um, yeah. where you can wrap around them and also then you put skin in the game so you, yeah. if you lose we lose so which is which yeah. is which is empowering as well what what does it look like in the future the founders advisory would it be like um only would you move into different types of businesses like um like an event company who does this thing called Smeeny Fest. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, well played. Well played. <laughs> no, um, are there other other ways that, that you can look into it where you have sort of like a different off the, off the shelf version for, let's say, like um, hospitality or or you're not really into that that um, that B two C sort of space? Yeah, I think I think for us in the immediate, you know, five to ten years, we're really focused on food and bev and or what I would call a growing a consumer brand. So again, I don't necessarily think that's based on food and beverage. You know, mm. anyone can grow a consumer brand across multiple um, different different um, products or services. But for us, um, we, we still really want to make sure that we're servicing the best interests of founders. And I think even more so these days, it's really, really hard to get measured advice that's in your best interest as a founder and there's lots of people wanting a slice of the pie or there's people that haven't you know don't know how to do it so we also though have said that we wouldn't pigeon ourselves necessarily into doing um only one thing so all i say to people is hey reach out and what we will always be is incredibly honest and if nothing else you get eight hours of free advice because you've gone through the pro process mm -hmm. and and then you never know from there right so i think it's just for us, we just want to make sure that um, wherever the founder is at and wherever they think the potential for their business is going and their products or services or their idea, if, if that's in the right place and if our skills are going to be the right match to continue to grow value for that founder, then we're together. It may not be the right time for them, may not be the right time for us, or it might be that they might need us in two years' time or might have mm. needed us two years ago. And you just don't really know that until you spend that time. So for us, we, you know, for the next wee while, we want to keep it relatively um, tight and make sure that we deliver significant value off our partnerships. We're still looking to grow the partnerships, so we've still got more, you know, we've got more capacity, but we're very, very conscious that we're hands-on and hands-in and our success is founders' success, as in the founders that we're invested with. So we want to make sure that we're doing an amazing job for them. What's your definition of a founder? Because obviously it, the word means something, but the, the the word, the like, if you open up a dairy and it's, it wasn't there before, are you a founder or are you a business yeah, person? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I I don't know. I have a pretty simplistic view of these things. I just <laughs> think you're a, if you're a founder, you're a creator and you're starting something. So, you know, you've got you've got an idea or you're doing something that's unique-ish. I mean, even still opening a dairy on that corner, someone may not have done that before, right? So you're still founding something, you're building something. And so we don't 
we don't we don't put a box around the type of people we will work with but you know really we're looking for or I I think founders are going to be people who have have a really really strong idea or a purpose or something they want to create grow build and if and if you've got that then you're a founder I mean Mm -hmm. there's founders sitting in big corporates they get sped out pretty quick because they work out their entrepreneurial spirit just isn't going to work and then they go and find you know then they go and build something themselves but um, there's founders, there's founders all over the place, but the, you know the ones we work with are usually doing it for themselves when they're founding their own businesses. But, but it is actually it's as much a mindset and an approach to how you're doing things, in in my view, as it is to mm. kind of the, the traditional definition of the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A founder slash entrepreneur, I suppose. In my definition would be they created something that without them making a start on it, it would never happen. Yeah wouldn't have existed mm, so that's 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 you out there pucky pucky to you well done because it's not an easy thing to do i've written down so many questions i don't know if you can see my notes but i write everywhere <laughs> and i don't even know where i'm at so i, I wouldn't mind having a chat to you about halala as well and tonga yeah, of course. Um, that's amazing we've got it in our cupboards we've always had it it's yeah. um it's it's delicious sort of um, product to use for for cooking and things like that. But can can you tell us your role with them and what what that is? Sure. I joined the Heilala Vanilla business in a governance role. So I'm on their board in February this year, so just recently. Mm -hmm. And the reason uh, they asked me is because um, they are continuing to expand and grow into the US market and have a very strong uh, e-commerce and physical retail business mix and we're looking for someone who really understood digital e-commerce marketing and had a lot of experience in kind of that omni-channel US space which um, I do from previous roles and I said yes because I am very very passionate about what Heilala are doing I think their um, their kind of ESG story and what they're doing um, with the Tonga community and the formation of the Heilala Trust which um, only started this year which now gives back every a percentage of every product sold goes back into the Tongan community for different projects. And you know, I just I just love working in an organization where they're incredibly clear about their purpose and that shows up across all of the um, different products that they launch, but also in how they operate day to day. And so I, you know, I guess I'm involved in a governance perspective, so I'm not hands in the business all the time, but working with the CEO and the rest of the board to continue to grow the, the business, but also do that in a very purposeful way. Mm. Mm. Tonga's had a hard year. Um, they have, yeah, but what, have. what an amazing response from the um, global community to the donations mm. that, I mean, even even off the back of the Heilala um some big chefs across the UK and the US donated, you know, so so some of the exposure that Heilala um, managed to get off the back of the eruption and bring in some cash to reinvest in the community is so, it's just so cool to see that going straight back to where it needs to be used. Hmm. I have spent a bit of time over there surfing on the Hatafi side and I reached out to some people in the fishing community that I know and it's despaired, it's not even there anymore. Um, both surf camps that I've stayed in before, then and they're not even wow. rebuilt. Wow, um, they got they got completely wiped out. So yeah, it's really sad because um, it's a, it's a wicked place. So if you haven't been there and you're thinking about going to Rarotonga, go to Tonga. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's 
Taurus plugs in Tonga. Taurus plugs. <laughs> Taurus plug. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag Tonga. Um, <laughs> I might move into some questions because I'm conscious of time. Um, you've got a 12 minute out. <laughs> I didn't think we'd go this long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of business out there. I, I feel my our audience is a mixture of, of founders, entrepreneurs, or people who are entrepreneurs in the marketing space or have a business or um, um, their own sort of business, whether they're tradies or, or someone, someone like that. In terms of SMEs, what do you feel is something that is a common mistake that you're, that you're seeing out there in the market that is something that could be easily remedied? I think so. probably two things. One, they don't really understand their point of difference or spend enough time ensuring they're unique. So I know it sounds, I know it sounds a bit vague, but you know, even if you're a construction company or an individual um, builder or a dairy, you, you still can spend time understanding why someone walks in your door and not someone else's, or why someone chooses your service and not someone else's. And the, and the more you really understand that, whether that's in um, your product or your service, I think the better because you can actually deliver a real real point of difference and customers are stickier you'll get better word of mouth and then I think if you don't know how to do that you know just spend time with parallel industries and get really different ideas and new energy and you'd be really surprised where that will lead and and you know it's as I've said before many times but just ask and I think the, the second thing is we, we and this is a classic New Zealand thing we just don't think big enough in this country you know we start from often our street or our region or our town and kind of go out rather than starting from the opportunity and coming back in. And so I know that, again, probably sounds a bit corporate in a way, but actually the amount of founders I come across who are like, I just want to get into the pack and save or I just want 10 more clients over here. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Let's let's think out five years. What could you be? You know, there's clearly there's clearly a spark of something here. People are coming back. People are buying it consumer feedback as they like it or they keep using your service there's something here let's let's like let's take all the barriers away and just spend a moment going really really big and then let's work mm. back from that and I think if you can allow yourself the, the time and the freedom with the right um, people alongside you to not dream but just really think a bit bigger and then work back from that I think you'll find that scaling then becomes a lot easier mm. for your business rather than kind of taking those incremental steps and then working out that you've got to re-engineer a whole lot of things along the way. Those, those would be my two, I think. Uh, there's two analogies I'd like to use there. One is fishing at your feet. So one is like you know, when you're just fishing at your feet rather than out, way out the back or looking at yep. your front wheel when you're riding a bike, not where you're actually going. So yep. thinking like if you're trying to get things, you're trying to get do too much in the now and if it mm. doesn't happen in the now, you're, it's going to impact your future rather than think it, you're running a marathon. There's another yeah. analogy. You know, it's, it's not a sprint. So look at it in the long term. So you might have a, like as for me in, in, the, in the event space, for example, I've got this mini festival. Like the first one, it went pretty well, but, you know, it didn't cover all the costs, but that's all right because it's mm. not a one event, one and done event. It's a 10-year event. Yeah. So I'm looking at what it's going to be in 10 years' time, not what happened in November and what's not going to happen in April. I'm looking at what's happening in April 2029, and which is something quite different to what it is now. So um, 
yeah, I, I agree with you. In regards to, hopefully, I, 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 that my analogies are similar to what you, yep, <laughs> you were talking. Perfect, perfect analogy is what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just think about, yeah, you might have a um, things might not go to plan now, and think there's things outside of your control as well. Now, a, a good example, I've got a mountain bike race that was supposed to be an Enduro World Series race in February. Enduro World Series just completely scrapped all Enduro. There's no such thing anymore. Um, which is fine, like it is what it is. I'll just change and um, the, but I, things outside of your control, outside of your control, don't worry about them. Just just yeah. keep moving, just keep moving forward, um, stay in your course, and don't lose faith in in, in what you yeah. what you're trying to achieve. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. <laughs> That's what you do for outdoor events. Plan for rain, and if it doesn't rain, <laughs> yeah, well, <exactly. laughs> at, least, at least it's going to be all right. At least you've got a tent or a marquee. Um, <laughs> What has been your best piece of business advice that someone's given you? Oh, that someone's given me. Um, my best piece of business advice. I reckon, wow, so because it's, so I think this business advice and this leadership advice, mm. I think the, because, you know, I personally think you've got technical skills and everyone's got, you know technical skills but it's sort of how you use them and how you show up that makes you different and how you're going to mm. um show up differently so the best piece of kind of personal leadership advice is just double down on your strengths so they got you to where you are they'll get you where you're going don't spend an ounce of time thinking about your weaknesses it's <laughs> my personal view be aware of them you know and how they impact others but don't dwell on them you know don't I, I see all these people all the time are like, oh, everyone's told me I need to work on this and this. And it's like, well, do, but all, all of that mental energy is going into two weaknesses. What about the 15 strengths about how awesome you are at these things? How about we double down on those and just be really aware of your weaknesses, but don't think about how they're kind of, you know, something that you're going to need to totally turn around. And then the, the kind of the business advice is if you think you need half a million dollars to do something, double it. You always need more money. <laughs> you then, always need more money than you think you need. Divide so, your revenue by twenty-four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so double like the money, double the money, and double the time to get the money. Basically, mm. so just you know, it, it, there'll be stuff that's out of your control as always. And if you are looking to fund an idea, as you should, because very rarely are you going to be self-funded into a into a big idea. Just make sure that you provide yourself the runway because so many good ideas just don't get kind of that two or three year traction because the founder's so caught up in raising money or having to manage cash or pay the bills that they lose sight of the product, the service, the brand, you know, the business. So just just make sure that you get, you know, <laughs> you'll never get your money right ever. Cash flow is never perfect but just you know double it would be all i would say two more questions no one more question two two sorry um what advice would you give someone right now who has got an idea and they've been percolating in their mind for a long time and they just haven't had the courage to start mm. i would say two or three things one why do you want to launch this business and is there a market for it so, so, so make sure you're really, really clear your why and that it's something that people want, need, 
will keep buying. Do some really quick desk research if you haven't already. You know, there's great options out there to use technology to research your idea, to validate your idea. You know, so, so just, you know, do a bit of homework. Not just with your friends and family, but actual, you know, actual homework. Friends and family often tell you yes when they shouldn't or no when they shouldn't. So, you well, know. That goes just... back to the first question. <laughs> we said get advice from the right people as well. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a great um, Peter... Peter Thiel quote, which is, um, there is, uh, what is it? Um, there's a lazy no and a trusted no, but a squirmy no is the best. And so, so what he says is make sure that you go and talk to a real cross-section of people and really listen to them, right? So not just your family and friends, but a whole cross-section of people. And then, so the lazy no is people that are just like, oh, I'm too busy, whatever, no. So ignore that. The trusted know is people you really, really respect from um, either industry or whatever, and they say, no, look, here is a no, and here's why, and listen to that. But the squirmy no is when you're like, oh, you know you've got, you're onto something. That's where people are like, or oh, I don't, like, maybe this could be really big, I'm not sure, and it feels really uncomfortable. That's when you know you're kind of onto a, you know, onto a winner, so so go and talk to as many people as you can and kind of but make sure you get a real cross-section of good good advice. And then asking the who is more important than asking the what. So, so find the people that are the best at what they do, reach out to them, get help. You know, they'll be giving of their time. And then where you can, get as many of those people around you for a bit to kind of be your trampoline so you can, you know, you can get started. Um, and then, of course, get funding. Mm. <laughs> and then get money. That would be that would be my advice. That might be another conversation. Where to get money from? Maybe that new fintech that that you're working with. Um, I'm conscious of time. It's ten twenty eight, and I know you've got a ten thirty. So um, thank you so so much for your time. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, it's been really awesome. Um, I hope you have an an amazing amazing um, holiday break. I hear that you're going camping. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we're going camping too let's hope that the rain has done its thing um, <laughs> between now and then because we've had a lot of moisture for those of you living outside of New Zealand um, it's been pretty wet but it happens it's our Nino um, and, that's, and that's what we get in, in, that, in that weather format but hey thank you so much for your time um, Nicola, I really appreciate this. this is our last podcast for, for the year I'm, I'm hanging up the, the microphone until 2023 and some new plans for then but yeah you have an epic day, epic Christmas. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you um, in, in the future. Sounds good. Adios. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. If you could do us one little favor, it would be this. Please start our podcast, rate it, share it around, tell a friend. You get value from the Sweeney podcast. It would be awesome if you could tell someone about it because every little bit helps us. Have an epic day. Have an epic Christmas. We're putting this one out on the 23rd of December 2022. So, two days away from Christmas. If you haven't got your shopping out done yet, like me, i got to get out there and do it right now. Have an epic Christmas and New Year's, summer, or if you listen to it in somewhere on the other side of the world, winter. But just be awesome and be kind to everybody out there. Kia ora.